Well, good evening there, kiddos. It is Tuesday night, 27th of February. I made it up to North Pole, got a few things done, ate some dinner. And I believe you guys went to the basketball game tonight and heard Lily play. Uh, so that's super cool. Anyways, I miss you all already, and I'm just going to work really hard and get these apartments finished up so we don't have to do this anymore so i can close the book on these places and working on them all right so we are reading sir dalton in the shadow heart by chuck black uh this is a little bit different because we're really looking into sir dalton as a person and at the end of chapter 12, we found Sir Dalton healing in the presence in, under the uh, watchful eye of Mr. Segis in his cave, which apparently is near to where he was imprisoned under Lord Cron. But we're still trying to figure all that out, how... Uh, Mr. C just got a hold of Dalton before he died, after he was pierced all the way through in a very savage manner by uh, Lord Crone. Crone? Crone? Anyways, some very interesting things. Mr. C just uh, has been helping Dalton realize about himself. He asked Dalton what his priorities were. He said, what's the most important thing to you? Dalton was taken aback at the personal question, which seemed completely beside the point. Excuse my asking, sir, but why do you want to know? Mr. C just gave an annoyed sniff. Because if I'm going to make you well... I want to know that my time is not being spent on foolishness. Dalton didn't answer at first. Clearly, there was more to this hermit than first appeared. Besides, no one had ever asked him a question like that, and he was not fully prepared to answer it. And then, what did uh, Dalton say? Well, he said Lady Bryn, right? He didn't say serving the prince. Um, what would you guys say? What is the most important thing to you? That's a really good question, huh? It's a good question to just pray on. And you don't have to tell anybody. But... See what answer comes from your heart and talk to God about it. But, okay, so Dalton goes on to talk about uh, he does serve the prince and that he is a knight of the prince. And then Mr. Segis says, if you serve the prince I know of, 
then you must be a mighty knight indeed. And did Dalton say, yeah, I sure am. No, he didn't. He couldn't. He said, no, Mr. Segis, I am not so mighty a knight. And he was telling the truth, right? But I am told that such knights carry the passion and the power of the prince in their hearts. How can it be that you don't? Knights of this order claim that the prince is the mightiest of all. And that kind of got under Dalton's skin, I think. Because he said, evidently, I am not as mighty. And Mr. C just said, evidently. So, Mr. Segis, as he had rescued Dalton, also picked up his sword. And it's broken in two. And Mr. Segis realizes that this, in fact, is a sword with the mark of the prince. And he tells Dalton that he knows these swords well, and a sword of the prince is also a sword of the king. They are not supposed to break. And there is only one reason why a sword of the king would break, and that is if it, that is if the one who holds it does so without skill. Dalton had had enough. Who was this old man to criticize his skills as a knight? He tried to straighten. And there's a mistake in the book here. He tried to straighten. But with indignation warring with pain, slumped back over. I have trained and served on many missions for the prince. There isn't a knight in the kingdom who could stand against Drox and survive. What do you know about the ba about battle anyway, old man? Ooh. So, Dalton's being kind of disrespectful, isn't he? Is there ever a time you should call somebody old man? No. There's not. Mr. Segis slowly put the two pieces of Dalton's sword on the stand nearby. He pursed his lips together as he looked at Dalton's bandaged midriff, then into his eyes. You have the sword and the mind of a knight of the prince, yet you lack. Dalton closed his eyes and shook his head as he sagged back into his pillow. What gives you the right to say things? He looked at, say such things. He looked at Mr. Segis again. You say I lack, but exactly what is it that I lack, old man? The old man put a finger to Dalton's chest. You lack the heart. Serving the prince takes all three. The words were so blunt they left Dalton speechless. Tears welled up in his eyes as he realized the truth of the message. Never before had his soul been laid so bare. He felt pierced again, but this time in his heart, and with a different sword.
Can you guys think of any scriptures that talks about a sword, a double-edged sword, dividing bone from marrow and soul from spirit? It's in Hebrews. See if you uh, can find it. He felt pierced again, but this time in his heart and with a different sword. Mr. C. just creaked to his feet. You are weary, young Dalton. Lie down and rest again. He removed the blanket from behind Dalton's shoulders, then crossed over to, the, to light the nearby lamp. I find that the morning always refreshes the body, soul, and spirit. So it was evening. Dalton had not even realized that the entrance to the cave was darkening. He closed his eyes and did not think that he could sleep just yet, but he did. Okay, so that was a little look back on chapter 12, because I think a couple of us might have fallen asleep pretty soon into our, our reading, so little refresher. And of course, who is Mr. Sejus? to know all these things and speak all of these words of uh, very deep wisdom and knowledge to uh, Sir Dalton. Yes, you got it. Okay, chapter 13, A Place of Beginnings. When Dalton awoke, it was morning. He heard Mr. C. just working at his bench across the cave, still humming his silly song. He laid still, thinking about their conversation the day before. He had never been so angered and so enlightened by a single conversation. Other than being famished, Dalton felt much better than he had since coming to this place. Even his left arm felt nearly whole again. He brought his right leg over the edge of the cot and set his foot on the floor. He leaned carefully on his right elbow and slowly pushed to a sitting position. At first he felt lightheaded and nearly had to lie down again, but that feeling slowly dissipated. He put his hand to his bandaged midsection and was amazed to find it only slightly tender. Mr. C. just turned on his tall stool and looked at Dalton, feeling well enough to sit now. He smiled and crossed over to Dalton. Well, there's progress. Soon you'll be walking about and I will have my home back. Dalton managed a weak smile. I want to apologize for my anger yesterday. I've been thinking about what you said. As Mr. C. just walked toward him, Dalton noticed that he seemed less encumbered in his walk this morning. Perhaps his joints are affected by the weather. Dalton had heard other old people say that. Mr. C. just sat down on the stool next to the cot. I'm not sure how you knew, but you were right. Dalton put his hand to his head. But how do I get a heart for something I already want? Now you are asking the right questions, young knight. Mr. C. just smiled and stood. 
but first it is time for you to eat. He supported Dalton and helped him stand and guided him to the table. Mr. C. just fed Dalton a sumptuous breakfast of eggs, sweet corn muffins, stewed pork, and fresh fruit. He encouraged him to drink much water as he ate. Dalton finally wiped his mouth, feeling energized by the meal. Come, Dalton. Mr. C. just stood at the cave entrance. Dalton stood carefully with a hand across his stomach and joined the old man at the entrance of the cave. Dalton squinted at the brightness of the day, for the sky was full of blue and sun. The hermit's cave was elevated enough to offer a spectacular view for a great expanse in all directions. Off to the right, a majestic mountain range stretched far into the distance. In front of them, the land dropped away to forest and then gave way to a lush green plain, with a river that wound its way out of view. The terrain to the left was more rugged, but just as enchanting. What do you see? Mr. C. just asked as he gazed into the distance. Dalton was now leery of answering the man's questions too quickly. When he hesitated, the old man looked at him with inquisitive eyes. An accident or a plan? Mr. Seegis continued. You are a strange fellow, Mr. Seegis. Where do you come from? The old man smiled again and seemed a little disappointed, but he answered the question. Nowhere and everywhere. My business of collecting takes me to many places in the kingdom. He turned again to look at the morning scenery. Dalton gazed at the man, amazed. At first he had thought him a crazy hermit, then a meddling old man. But now... How are you feeling? Mr. Seegis said without looking at him. Dalton put his hand to his stomach again. Quite well, actually. He was surprised to realize how true that was. I think I should be on my way within a day or two. Mr. Seegis just nodded. Very well. In the meantime, you can earn your keep by helping me. He brought Dalton to his bench and sat a stool next to him. Dalton sat down as the old man went to his huge pile of rusted trinkets. He scrounged around a bit and finally pulled something from beneath the pile. Ah, here it is. I knew it was in there somewhere. Mr. Seegis held a crusty old sword that looked like it had been weathered in the elements for a hundred years. He placed it on the table before Dalton. You must polish this for me. If you do a fair job, perhaps it will help me recover my costs for treating you. Dalton looked at the sword with dismay. The double-edged blade was dull, with streaks of rust down its length. The handle and guard were so dirty and tarnished that Dalton could not make out the markings. Cleaning the weapon looked like a hopeless task.
but he knew it, he was indebted to the old man, so he determined to do his best. The hermit taught Dalton how to work the polishing tools, and he settled into the task, starting with the blade. When he tired, he rested on the cot for a bit before returning to the chore, pushing himself to concentrate on his seemingly impossible assignment. He was glad, though, when Mr. Segis called him to the table and afterwards suggested an early night. Over the next few days, Dalton's strength returned. As they worked on the be- at the bench together, Mr. Segis found many opportunities to ask more probing questions, which Dalton found uncomfortable to answer. There was something about the man that drew Dalton to him, and yet he wanted to be done with the nagging questions about purpose, vision, and knighthood. He had never worked so hard to answer questions before. In fact, all of Sir Dornan's training seemed simple and trivial compared to this. Dalton wasn't much more thrilled about his task of cleaning the sword. The work was tedious, and the old hermit would take nothing but perfection. You must polish in the direction of the grain of the steel. He said to Dalton during one of his inspections, the blade was forged and folded in that fashion and must be worked according to the designs of its swordsmith. At the end of the fourth day, Dalton had completed only one side of the blade, but his feelings about the work were beginning to change. He was amazed at the beauty that was slowly being revealed by his labor and by the guidance of Mr. Segis. Part of him almost wished there would be more to finish. Part of him almost wished he would be there to finish the task, but he was feeling much better and anxious to be on his way. The next morning, he stood just inside the cave with a knapsack full of provisions Mr. Segis had given him. I want to thank you for all you have done he said to his elderly host, perhaps even risking your life to save me. I'm sorry I didn't finish the sword for you, but it is time for me to be on my way back home. My family will be worried. Mr. C. just nodded and held Dalton's gaze for some time until Dalton turned to look out the entrance. Your family and your lady Bryn Mr. Segis stated as if he knew Dalton's thoughts. Yes, but I still don't know where I am and which direction to travel. That is a truth for certain, Mr. Segis said. Are you sure you're ready to leave? Dalton looked back at the hermit, a bit exasperated. I am ready. Mr. C. just slowly nodded. I see. And what of Lord Drox? Are you ready for him? Dalton hadn't thought of that evil warrior for many days. Once again, the old hermit had slapped him in the face with the simple truth of the obvious. 
Dalton felt a rush of fear rise up in him. Trox was surely nearby. If you leave now, he will find you and imprison you or kill you. The old man spoke the words so poignantly that Dalton stumbled in his heart. Why do you think he sought you out and pierced you through? Mr. Seegis added. Dalton was quiet. Because I lack, Dalton said softly. When I was first taken prisoner by drugs, a friend and fellow knight searched for me. He thought back to that stormy night. This mighty warrior hid from my friend as though he were afraid of him. What was different between you and your friend? Mr. Seegis asked. Dalton looked away into the kingdom. Cohen rides as a knight with authority, as though he knows it's all true. Ah, he knows it is true. Dalton turned to look at the hermit again. Is it that simple? The only way to have a complete heart for the prince is to know it is true. A man who doesn't is like a wave of the sea being tossed by the wind. Eventually, Trox will find that man and imprison him, or pierce him through. So what do I do? Dalton voiced the question, but not necessarily directed toward the old man. He didn't expect him to be able to give him an answer. Mr. C. just looked warmly at Dalton. Travel with me today, young knight, and I will show you the answer to one of your questions. One of my questions? Dalton asked. Yes, one of many that keep you from having the heart of a knight of the prince. You must face all of them, Dalton. The king and his son are not afraid of questions. Mr. Seegis went into the cave and retrieved his own pack, already prepared. He lifted it to his shoulder. I thought you wanted to be rid of me, Dalton said with a smile. Yes, well, I'm afraid you're just not ready, and I must be patient. What's an old man to do? At first, Dalton wondered if the pace of the hermit would be too slow for him to bear. But he quickly discovered this was not the case. It was Dalton who struggled to keep pace with Mr. Seegis. Dalton himself needed frequent rests, for his strength was still greatly diminished. They traveled east along the base of the mountain range for most of the morning. Now I recognize these mountains, Dalton said with satisfaction. These are the northern mountains. I was so close to them that I could not see them for what they are. Tis often true in life, young one. 
the old hermit said without skipping a step. At one point, they climbed a ridge. Mr. C. just stopped for a moment, and Dalton was grateful. The old man seemed tireless. They looked south to a thick forest. This is Wolf Ridge, Mr. C. just said, and pointed to an area not far away. There was a great battle there long ago. Here in the northern mountains, Dalton asked between ragged breaths, I've not heard of it. You wouldn't have, but the kingdom hung in the balance. The people are often unaware. Mr. C. just said, There are many who don't even believe there is a king. Yes, I know, Dalton said. Those are the ones most difficult to tell about the prince. Mr. C. just shook his head. Without a king, there is no kingdom. The king established established a wreath tray long ago. Those who live here and deny his existence live a life of contradiction, for the kingdom itself testifies to his reign. By early afternoon, they came to an area that seemed forgotten by time itself. It was a scene of ancient beauty, and Mr. C. just slowed to enjoy it. A sparkling river flowed nearby, tumbling gently over shallow waterfalls. Mr. C. just told Dalton it was the Tisigri, or Tisgri. Mr. C. just told Dalton it was the Tisgri. The trees seemed larger than usual and widely spaced, and the ground between them was padded with thick grass and soft mats of forest moss. Green vines and brightly colored flowers provided a garden atmosphere, and a delightful canopy of leaves and pine branches filtered the sunlight into golden spires. Dalton looked around in awe at the magnificence of it all. They walked quietly through the trees until they came to the ruins of a forgotten estate. The outer walls had crumbled, and the rusted iron gates had fallen from their hinges. They walked through the gate and stood in the outer court of what once must have been a majestic palace. What is this place? Dalton asked in wonderment. Mr. C. just breathed deeply. This is the place of beginnings. This is Nidahaven. They stood before the blackened ruins of a great and ancient palace. The trees and vines had nearly swallowed the structure, and it looked as though it was trying to return to nature. But its residual magnificence was unmistakable. I thought this story was just a fabricated legend, Dalton said, still gawking at the ruins. I never would have believed such a place existed. Mr. C. just turned to Dalton. That is why we are here. Dalton looked at the old man, who seemed to have become stronger 
by their day's hike rather than weaker. The young knight followed him up the overgrown stairway to the veranda of a great hall. Dalton brushed the dirt away from a broken piece of marble that had fallen from its place above the entrance. He traced his finger in the engraving. Need a haven. This truly was it, he whispered. Dalton followed Mr. Sieges through the ruins to a back courtyard where the remnants of a stone walkway wound its way through an abandoned garden. Mr. Sieges stopped and knelt down. He placed his hand on the stones, now nearly overgrown with moss. Dalton knelt beside him. The king walked with Peyton and Dinan here, Mr. Sieges said quietly. Dalton looked once more at the ruins and realized that this truly was the place of beginnings, the place where the king first established his perfect kingdom under the rule of Sir Peyton and Lady Dinan. He looked at the charred remains of the palace and imagined it burning as Lucius and his shadow warriors brought the terror of their battle to Erethrae. He was kneeling in the heart of the kingdom and of the king himself. I doubted that such a place existed. Dalton hung his head, ashamed. It seemed too far-fetched to be truth, and yet... Mr. C. just turned his head and looked at Dalton. The prince came to Erethrae because of the failure here long ago. Through Peyton's failure, all people of Erethrae were doomed. Without the resounding truth of this place, this story, there is no foundation for the truth of the prince, or even the king for that matter. Mr. C. just looked deep into Dalton's eyes. If you don't believe in the beginning, you can't believe in the prince or in his mission to rescue the people of Eretrae from the clutches of the dark night. Dalton was crushed by the force of the man's words. I'm such a fool. Why do I doubt so? Dalton said, fighting back his emotions. It is such with so many, Mr. Sieges said sadly, as he looked at the ruins of the palace. His sadness seemed to come from deep within his heart. Dalton put a hand on the old man's shoulder. What had unnerved him about the man before now sparked a desire to know more. How do you know such things, Mr. Sieges? He asked, slowly shaking his head. How? Mr. Sieges looked at Dalton again. Come back with me and work on my sword, and I shall tell you more. Dalton nodded. He thought about how his perception of this old hermit had changed over the past week. And with it, his perception 
of the kingdom, of everything. Chapter 14, Dividing the Code. The journey to Nidahaven had proved a strain for Dalton, and he needed a few days to regain his strength. But Mr. Segis was true to his charge and helped Dalton fully recover. Dalton was now feeling nearly whole again. When Mr. Segis removed the bandaged one evening, Dalton was shocked to see that there was hardly a scar to show for the steely invasion just three weeks earlier. It seems impossible, Dalton exclaimed as he felt his stomach and his back at the same time. Mr. Seegis peered closely at the wound site. Your healing is not yet complete, so you must not strain too much. Dalton nodded as he donned his torn and blood-stained tunic. You are a remarkable old man. Mr. Seegis ignored the comment. Let's see how your sword is coming. The blade was now completely polished, and it reflected the light of the nearby lamp with a spectacular sheen. The edges still needed work, and the guard and handle were clean, but not polished yet. Still, Dalton was pleased, and so was Mr. Sieges. Excuse me. Dalton picked up the sword and moved into a hanging guard stance. It felt good in his hand. The balance was perfect. Set your feet here and here, the hermit said as he tapped the floor with his toe. And you must turn your wrist a bit more. Dalton furrowed his brow and opened his mouth to shoot out a barbled comment. After all, he had been trained at the Haven in Salisburg and in the advanced training class at Brimwick Downs. Who was this old man to tell him anything about sword fighting? Then he realized that whenever he said such a thing in the presence of this particular man, he usually ended up embarrassed or humbled. So he shut his mouth, listened, and obeyed. Over the next two hours, Mr. Segis instructed Dalton on the fine points of swordsman stances. Slowly, Dalton's mind opened to the fact that this old hermit was well-versed in the techniques of advanced sword fighting. When they stopped, Dalton lowered his sword and stared at Mr. Segis. He was certain This was not the same man who had nursed him back from the dead. For the man seemed twice his former former self in mind, stature, and strength. Once again, you have surprised me, Mr. Segis, Dalton said as he laid the sword back on the workbench. You have shown me forms that not even my instructors knew. How much more do you know? 
Mr. C. just lifted the sword and wiped it with a rag as he inspected the handle. When you have finished polishing the handle, I can show you one or two more things, he said with a quick grin. Tell me, young Dalton, what directs the thoughts and actions of a knight of the prince such as yourself? Hmm, I suppose it is the training we receive from our instructors. I see, Mr. C. just said as he returned the sword to the workbench. And what if an instructor is incompetent or misdirected himself? What then happens to his students? Dalton had no answer. Would it be safe to assume that his students might become incompetent or misdirected? I suppose so, Dalton replied, once again uncomfortable. Men are flawed, Dalton. What has, what has the king given us to guard against such a thing? Mr. Sieges asked. Why, what should direct the thoughts and actions of a knight of the prince? Dalton knew this answer from his training the code, and the life of the prince. Master C. just penetrated Dalton's soul with his eyes once again. Your words are true, but do you believe them, Dalton? Dalton wanted to say yes just to stop this dialogue, but this confounded hermit seemed to read his heart like an open book. He would take nothing short of a truthful answer. I was taught that the code is an archaic document that our kingdom has outgrown, a relic from the past that is only a rough guide. Dalton bent over, put his elbows on the workbench, and rested his fingers on the sword. Some even say that it was not given by the king, but written by the hands of mere men. Deep inside, I know it is more than that, but most of the kingdom has rejected it including many men of great learning. Dalton turned his head and looked at his, looked at his peculiar mentor. So how does one truly know what to believe or follow? Mr. C. just looked on Dalton as a father would, patiently teaching a son through his years of experience. The code is timeless, Dalton. It was not given to one man in secret for a particular time, but to all people openly for all time. It is not a parchment in the inner chambers of the Palace of Chessington, but a living creed written on the fleshly tablets of the hearts of men and women who serve and love the king. The prince is the personification of the code. By him the kingdom lives or dies. Do you, do you let the vain teachings of wayward instructors cause you to wander from the resilient truth of the code and the prince? Test it, Dalton, and see if, 
if it is not true. Dalton looked at Mr. Sieges and knew that he spoke the truth. Why had it taken him so long to see it? This is what his friend Cohen believed, and it was the reason he was a knight of authority. At the Haven in Salisbury, Cohen and Carlos had stood firm by the code in spite of ridicule. Dalton had not. Now he turned away and knelt to the floor on one knee, crushed by the weight of his past compromise. He lowered his head. I hardly know the code, he said softly. How can I live by it? Dalton felt the gentle hand of Mr. Sieges on his shoulder. Honor the king with your life. Swear allegiance to him and to him only. The confident voice of his mentor spoke over him. Dalton lifted his eyes and joined his voice with Mr. Sieges's in quoting the code he had learned by heart when he first became a knight. Serve the king in truth, justice, and honor. Offer compassion to the weak, the destitute, the widowed, and the poor. Live for the kingdom and serve others without cause for personal gain. And prepare for battle against the forces of the dark night. Serve the king and faint not in the day of battle. Use not the sword to seek selfish gain, but rather to execute justice in the will of the king. Be merciful, loyal, courageous, faithful, and noble. But above all, be ye humble before the king and before men. Let your words be always spoken in truth. Dalton stood and turned to look at Mr. Sieges. I understand and believe. As with Nita Haven, I now see how it is impossible to fully serve the king without the code. Yes, Mr. Sieges nodded. You have taught me so much. Dalton gazed at the man as if he were, as if he had just wiped the fog from a window and seen him anew. Teach me more, Master Sieges. Okay, and that's the end of chapter 14, kiddos. We're going to stop there. Um, Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this Chuck Black book. Father, I pray that where I am like Sir Dalton in my faith, where I have weakness and when I doubt, and when that causes me not to walk by your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, but by my own strength, Lord, I just pray that you would change my heart And make me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And um, 
Lord, I just pray that we would all fill our hearts with your word so that you would truly live inside of us, Lord Jesus, and that you would light a fire of passion and zeal to know you and love you through your word and through prayer. And Lord, we're excited for us, for for you to use us as others see the peace and the strength that we have because of what you've done for us, Lord Jesus, and because you, in fact, live inside of us. So, Lord Jesus, please grow us and change us and bless us and help us to help and encourage and lift each other up, Lord God. We love you, and we ask all these things in your Son, Jesus' name. Sorry, kiddos. I'm getting really tired. Okay. I love you all very much. I hope you get some great sleep. And uh, I look forward to reading to you more tomorrow. All right. Love you. Night, night.